Hello and welcome to the Investing on the Go podcast. I'm James Yardley and today I'm joined by Martin Lau, the fund manager of the FSSA uh, Greater China Growth Fund. Martin, thank you very much for joining us. Hello, James. Uh, Martin, you've got over two decades of experience investing in Chinese equities. So hopefully you're the perfect person to talk about, about at the moment for the, the current situation. Um, we've, we've heard a lot about Evergrande recently, this, this huge Chinese real estate company, which has got into a bit of trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts on it? What does it mean um, for the whole Chinese economy? Yes. Um, uh, thanks, uh, James, for inviting me to talk here. Yes. Um, first of all, Evergrande is the largest developer in China with a lot of debt. It's estimated that it has uh, two trillion. Uh, renminbi uh, worth of debt. Uh, so the, the, the fall of uh, Evergrande is a very major event. Uh, so uh, being the largest developer, uh, having some problems, uh, in our view, it highlights um, a few facts. Uh, the first fact is that uh, China is a leveraged economy. So uh, for many, many years, our view has been that you know there's a lot of uh, highly leveraged company in, in China. China credit to GDP is one of the highest in the world, over 300% of GDP. Um, so China is an, basically an overleveraged uh, uh, economy, and because of that, uh, it's always been our view that you know, uh, you know, in in many ways, uh, the best area for investment in China is not necessarily a Chinese bank or a Chinese developer. Uh, so that's one. Uh, the second thing that we we learn from this uh, incident is that the Chinese government uh, is really quite determined uh, to tackle the property market. So for for three years, uh, the Chinese government has been trying to uh, curb property price increase and has not been as successful. So they've been trying to dif- trying to, uh, different ways, uh, including cutting out uh, the financing uh, or the funding of uh, some of the developers. So it shows the uh, determination of the Chinese government, uh, you know, in, in tackling the very high property prices. Uh, we do not know, uh, think that, you know, this is like the end of the world or some people say uh, it is the Armageddon, you know, Lehman uh, uh, crisis, et cetera. And the very simple reason uh, is that it was uh, kind of orchestrated by the government uh, in the first place. Uh, China is a closed system. Uh, There are very little foreign capital uh, in in China. Uh, It has got a closed capital account and all the banks are owned by the government. Uh, Mm -hmm. So if the government wants, uh, they can always uh, stop the next Evergrande from happening. Uh, So the the, the similar type of management happened. It was really uh, the loss of trust. Uh, the counterparty risk, the complicated counterparties and derivative that Lehman Brothers had uh, at that point in time. And I think the situation now is uh, different. But then back to the original point is China is, uh, you know, debt level is high and the, and the fall of um, Evergrande pretty much reflects that fact. And we've seen the Chinese government increasingly crack down on various different sectors recently, such as technology or education or gambling. Um, what does this mean for investors? Is China still investable at the moment? Does the Chinese government care about the performance of the stock market? Um, yes, that's a very good question. So first of all, we have also been um, quite surprised uh, by the frequency of regulation uh, covering different sectors that you just mentioned from you know, online games uh, to education to like e-commerce delivery, uh, you know, gambling, etc. So it does um, seem to us that the government uh, it's very uh, it's very keen to increase the 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 kind of control on the economy. Uh, you know, it shouldn't be surprising in a way because China has always been, uh, you know, a right, relatively top-down uh, economy or top-down government. Uh, government, uh, you know, last year China was credited for 
managing the uh, COVID situation very well because they control uh, pretty much everything uh, within the economy. So now it's uh, happened with the regulation. It, it highlights the, the kind of risk which arguably uh, has always been there. Um, there are a few things which we take from the uh, different regulations. Uh, first of all, uh, you know, it is in a way good that investors are aware of this risk. So if you turn back um, to last year, for example, um, everyone believed China is the area to invest. And within China, you should buy Tencent, Alibaba, Meituan, or Pinduoduo, Mi, etc., all those tech companies. Of course, the sentiment has now changed almost 180 degrees, uh, but we believe that's in a way quite good because investors are now uh, aware of those risks. Um, it is our view always that the best time to buy China is when people are nervous about China, so for different reasons. So the fact that uh, regulation uh, is now happening and people are concerned about it uh, is a good thing. Uh, the second thing which we take from the regulation uh, is that indeed uh, the, the Chinese government, uh, some you know, a lot of the uh, commentators say it's become more socialist. Uh, it is true. Uh, but then one also needs to remember uh, China has always been a socialist country. Uh, for many years, um, you know, one could easily argue uh, China is a communist country, but it is pro- it was probably the most uh, capitalist uh, country in the world. And I think this is uh, more like, like a normalization uh, to a more uh, socialist uh, you know, uh, stance. And, uh, and I think this is also quite um, uh, right in a way. So when you say uh, the, co- the government uh, talks about common prosperity, uh, you may not like this term because whenever uh, you, know, you tap this into this term, uh, you, you think about maybe, does it mean that uh, it would hurt the investors? Uh, hurt, uh, you know, does it mean that no one can make money? Our interpretation of that um, uh, stance, a uh, common prosperity, is that the government wants uh, everyone to get more equally rich, as in people become also richer, but then the, the disc- uh, disparity uh, may not be as big as before. I do believe this is one of the challenges for different governments, especially after COVID and with property price uh, you know, going through the roof in many other countries, uh, that the wealth disparity is getting bigger and bigger. So the government really wants to uh, address that, but it doesn't mean uh, that they want everyone uh, to be poorer. It doesn't mean that uh, they want economic growth to be ne- negative. It doesn't mean that they want to de- destroy innovation, uh, industrial development, etc. It just means they want to adopt a more balanced approach, help try to make sure that the lower income people uh, are also taken care of. And I think the the fall in the value of, of the Chinese stock market has um, caused Tencent to drop outside of the the world's largest top ten companies. Mm. Um, uh, this is for the first time I think since since 2017. Um, what, what does this mean for China? Um, will we see uh, Chinese companies bounce back and 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 return to the top ten again mm. soon? Yeah, I think it is um, it is quite uh, possible. So first of all. Uh, in many ways, we actually quite uh, we we actually think um, the fact that a Chinese company dropped out of the top ten is actually quite good, uh, because if you look back to uh, past, uh, it's almost like a curse if you become the largest in the world. I, I believe Exxon Mobil uh, was once the largest uh, uh, company uh, in the world, for example, uh, and PetroChina the same, uh, and the banks were once the uh, largest in the world, China Mobil, etc. So so I think the the fact that it's uh, out of the top 10 reflect the fact that uh, Chinese uh, stock market has actually fallen uh, quite a lot uh, in recent months. Uh, you, again, you know, it is, it is in a way good. Um, whether they will come back to the top 10 again uh, really depends on, uh, you know, the stock market. But we'll probably focus on why uh, Chinese companies become the largest in the first place. Um, and whether if it ever come to the top 10, uh, what would happen? 
The reason why Tencent uh, became uh, one of the largest in the world uh, in the first place, top 10, is first of all, China is a very big uh, domestic market. Mm. It is uh, 1.4 billion people. And secondly, of course, Tencent has got something, has done something right, as in it created a very uh, uh, successful and very huge uh, ecosystem uh, led by uh, WeChat. And therefore, they start to do different uh, things. And, and more importantly, is how, um, you know, when you're given uh, some chance and incentive, how certain people can apply innovation and, uh, and create a more successful uh, business. So if, if those are drivers, like big, mar- big market uh, innovation and the right people, the right incent- incentive, et cetera, uh, come into place, I do believe uh, there's every chance that, you know, China, uh, you know, company can be big in the world, but it may not be Tencent, it could be another, another company. Now, looking more closely at your portfolio, you've got about 16% in Chinese A shares at the moment. Can you briefly explain to our listeners uh, what those are and and the opportunity with, with them? Mm. Yes, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, first of all, yeah, within China, the thing which uh, get me most excited or the team most excited are the Chinese A share companies. Uh, for those of you who are not as familiar, Chinese A share companies were actually close to foreign investments uh, for many years until around uh, 10 years ago. Uh, it is the domestic market of China. And why it is important is, first of all, the Chinese ACS is a very deep market. There are actually more than uh, 4,000 companies listed on the ACS. And in market terms, uh, market cap terms, it's actually more than $4 trillion US dollar. It's actually the second largest uh, stock market after the US market. So it is a big and deep market. And for us, FSSA, uh, one of the uh, excitement is that we want to uh, stop pick uh, from you know a, a, a huge universe of different companies. It's always very exciting uh, to find an entrepreneur uh, introducing his or her, her company and you can feel the, the drive and the passion of that individual. So ACS is, a, is an area that we, we, we would continue to invest into and this number, 16%, uh, will continue to increase over time depending on the opportunity. Um, within ACS, we identify different uh, opportunities uh, because of the ACS are, are so big. There are different uh, leaders in different uh, industries. For example, in the home appliance industry, we are invested into a company called Media Group. It's actually the largest home appliance company, a bit similar to Whirlpool or Great, uh, great uh, um, General Electric uh, in the Western world. And the reason why we like this company, just to elaborate into more details, is because we like the management. It's a professional management. It's family owned. Uh, it's owned by a, a family with the surname Her, if you make any uh, kind of, it's not that important, but it's uh, Mr. He. And it's really um, a, a place whereby uh, the company moved from a kind of cheap and cheerful uh, electric fan company many, many years ago into now uh, business spanning from home appliance, smart devices. And also they are also into robotic. They bought uh, a, a robotic company in Germany uh, a, few, a few years ago. So this is a, a very good example of how a Chinese company uh, can move up the manufacturing uh, value added. And this is one of the major themes that we identify. It's not, is that, um, let's say 20 years ago, uh, China was very uh, good in making shoes and garments and is now trying to move into, uh, you know, more value added products, uh, led by the example of Huawei, uh, which is really the leader in smartphones and telecom equipment. So uh, media is a good, is one example. And your fund, of course, is a greater China fund, meaning you can invest in Taiwan as well. In fact, you've got about a third of your portfolio in Taiwan at the moment. Um, is that a defensive move or are you simply finding better opportunities there? Mm. Yes, that's an interesting uh, question. So historically, we've uh, told our clients that 
uh, a greater China fund is different from a, a pure China fund in, in the sense that it is a more diversified set of opportunities. Uh, you probably know and can appreciate in, in recent months uh, that uh, China is actually a very volatile uh, you know, market. It's either the best performing or the worst performing if you think about the China-Asia market and, and very rarely in between. Uh, so for the last two years, it was the best performing and then now it's become, you know, at least up to now, uh, one of the not as good performing markets uh, in the whole world. So by introducing uh, Taiwan and Hong Kong into it, uh, into the, at the mandate or portfolio, uh, first of all, it creates the diversification. Uh, there, there is often the case, uh, for example, uh, this year, let's say China is not doing well, and Taiwan semiconductor stocks have actually performed extremely well. Uh, by that, I, you know, it creates uh, the kind of like diversification and also the room to maneuver away whenever you feel uh, there's a kind of like a bubble uh, in certain areas. Uh, we do believe, for example, uh, last year there was a little bit of a bubble with China Tech and then maybe you can move uh, the money into Taiwan. And this year, we believe Taiwan Semiconductor is a little bit of a bubble. Um, and the reason for that is the whole world is uh, believed that there'll be, there's a severe shortage of chips, which will last for you know, maybe two or three years. Whether that uh, concern is true or not, you know, the likes of TSMC has actually appreciated uh, significantly. So as a portfolio, uh, right now, uh, what we have done is that, maybe, uh, we, is that we have trimmed a little bit of TSMC. It's still our favorite, uh, you know, it's still the largest position in the portfolio, but because it's done so well at a time when uh, China hasn't done well, you kind of like can cap capture the opportunity. Should it be a pure uh, China fund, you probably would struggle to maneuver because everything is already put into China. The same with Hong Kong. By putting Hong Kong into it, it introduced another perspective in terms of investment. Hong Kong is a more mature economy, uh, but more international, more focused on properties and banks. And so also Hong Kong, uh, in terms of the companies, they are usually more westernized, more developed. You're kind of like replicating uh, the business model into China. So it's, it's a totally different uh, you know, kind of segment in terms of the characteristics uh, as compared to China and, and Taiwan. So by combining the three, uh, we believe um, the risk could be reduced, the volatility could be reduced. And some, somehow, if you manage it well, you can actually uh, try to uh, you know, allocate uh, between different markets uh, to generate better uh, risk-adjusted performance over time. And what is your outlook for the, the Chinese stock market over the next 12 months or so? It, it sounds like you're, you're reallocating capital back towards it. Is, yes. Isn't that correct? Yes. Um, yeah, it is quite difficult to predict um, uh, what's going to happen uh, for the next uh, 12 months or so. Usually we take a uh, three to five years view or more. Uh, and uh, the, the, the intention has always been that we identify those stocks that we like. And uh, if, we are, if we can find those uh, stocks and if valuation is uh, appropriate, uh, we just buy more of those stocks. Uh, for the last two months, we have identified more uh, stocks that we like at the right valuation in China for the simple reason that everyone is now concerned about China. So we do think from that perspective, uh, even though we don't want to give a, a number to the possible return, that the, the, the risk reward uh, for the China stock market as of today uh, is actually better than, let's say, 12 months ago. But I'm actually referring to uh, more like the offshore market, uh, whereby uh, foreigners own a lot of uh, stocks, uh, the stocks listed in, uh, uh, in, in Hong Kong. Uh, but then for the Asia market, which I just talked about, uh, Asia has actually been holding up very well because the domestic investors are not as concerned. So we believe the offshore uh, China market, uh, which accounts for the majority of the, uh, you know, um, uh, of our greater China funds, uh, we believe the risk reward is actually better than uh, 12 months ago. Martin, that's been very interesting. Thank you very much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you, James.
And if you'd like to learn more about the FSSA Greater China Growth Fund, please visit fundcaliber.com. And please remember to subscribe to the Investing on the Go podcast. Please remember we've been discussing individual companies to bring investing to life for you. It's not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these companies at your time of listening.